You're listening to the Lompoc Foursquare Church Podcast. Hey, we're talking about growing. And last week we talked about weeds in your garden. And just curious, was anybody a little more attentive to weeds if you were here last week? That, Yeah. And, and a couple times I caught myself going, hmm, that's a weed. That bad attitude is a weed. I'm about to respond to someone or even in my mind just have a thought, that's, that's a bad weed. And what I know about weeds is if they're left unattended, they will take over. Huh? Anybody got a back, well, you backyard you don't want anybody to see? Uh, yeah. And, and the rain came and it made everything green and Highway 1. Uh, I had a friend visit from L.A. recently and I said, it always looks like that on a highway. <laughs> He said, well, I thought you guys were in a drought. It's not us. Uh, last six years, Highway 1, just lush. But a lot of that green that you're seeing, beads, just waiting with the right amount of water, you know, and there's weeds in our soil just waiting for the right pressure, the right person, the right issue to come up, you know, somebody to mistreat us or misunderstand us. Uh, we looked at Luke chapter 2. And it's going to be our verse for this series because Jesus is our example on how to grow. It says, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. This little verse spans 18 years of the life of Christ. And here's what it says. That Jesus increased in wisdom and and in favor with and... And so what we said was Jesus grew in wisdom, or that's mental or intellectual uh, growth. This is deciding to learn to play a new instrument, or if you played the tuba back in third grade, you pick it up again, or decide to learn a a language, a skill. Maybe you're going to read something you've never read before. You're going to research something you've never researched before. This is expanding your intellectual growth. We talked about your physical growth and about health. And how even our own church, we've got the Daniel plan. It meets again tomorrow night. And a big group of people last week, uh, as it launched, uh, we talked about your, your uh, spiritual growth. We, we've talked about celebrate recovery we have on Wednesday nights. That helps with that. We've got small groups coming up, or I like to call them growth groups in February. Um, there's lots of ways you can grow spiritually. You can read your Bible every day. And you can get a Bible bookmark and start reading and doing your scripture observation application Prayer, as we call it around here, soap. Um, you can you can worship more. You can listen to Christian music more. You could, uh, you know, don't fall asleep during a sermon. That might help too. And Jesus grew in favor with all men, and that's that's social growth. So we think about these areas of expanding in our life, and one of those things is that we've got to be cognizant of is how we love each other, how we love each other. Now, when you think about the fruit of the spirit as we talked about last week, uh, I want you to think about the fruit of the Spirit this way. The first fruit is what? Starts with an L and ends with of. (laughs) Love, yeah, yeah. So I want you to think of it this way. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then you unpack it and it becomes joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, self-control. If you want to define what real love is, love that's empowered by God, it's full of joy. 
It's full of peace. It has patience in it. It has kindness in it. It, it. it is a love that is explained by how it acts. And the interesting thing to know is, how can you really tell somebody what love is or what it feels like? And so the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 will tell us, this is, this is how you see it. Oh, it's joyful. It's peaceful. It puts up with stuff. And then we'll see that in just a moment as we also go to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, which could also be called the weed chapter. You didn't think of it that way, did you? Well, I'm going to let you in on that in just a moment. But in Matthew 7, Jesus said these words, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Uh, Do people pick grapes from the thorns or figs from the thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears what kind of fruit? And a bad tree Yeah, so if the apple tree's doing its job, it's going to bring forth an apple. You're going to go, wow, pastor, I came to church for that. But if there's a sickly apple tree that's not being nourished right or not getting enough nutrients in the soil, that's not getting enough sunlight or enough cloud cover, that's why this area is really good for apples. Years ago, I knew a guy who raised different uh, kinds of apples in his backyard. And one of the things he said was the, the, the marine layer here and, and the milder climate here is just superb for apples. Now, there's lots of different kind of apples, but we would know, I, I think all of us would know, what an apple looks like, whether it's a red apple or, or a yellow apple or a green apple, those nice, good, crisp, sour ones. I like those apples. Not to be confused with that little green, silly candy that looks like an apple stick. Anyway, forget it. So, so... The point I'm making is, whatever we are, we produce. If we're sons and daughters of God, what produces out of us, the fruit that comes out of us, should be like him. It should be like Jesus. Because every tree that does not bear good fruit, he goes on to say, is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus, by the fruit, you will recognize them. So here's a question for your notes. Do you see Christ-like attributes growing in your life. Do you see Christ-like attributes growing in your life? In John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, what he's saying is, apart from me, Apart from me, you will bear a fruit, but it won't be like me. In comparison to me, it'll be a nothing fruit. It won't look like me. It won't act like me. It won't sound like me. You can fabricate a spirituality. You can even use Christianese. You can tell people, uh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. For God so loved the world, praise the Lord. Uh, Back in the 70s, it was, uh, praise the Jesus to you. And uh, boy, was that dumb or what, you know? So you can speak the language. You, you can know the lingo. Um, I, I had a dear friend, a pastor friend up in Beaverton, Oregon, Ron Mel, and, and he had leukemia and, and passed away. Uh, just a great guy, great, great pastor. Uh, and early on, he was um, recruited by Division I colleges all around the country because of his basketball prowess and um, he went to 
Life Pacific Bible College, our little college, had a little basketball team. And, um, but when he went to go pastor in Beaverton, he got to work out with the Trailblazers. And he was good. And so he let him, you know, run up and down the court with the Trailblazers. And I remember asking him, what was that like for you? And he said, um, I could shoot like some of them. I could move like some of them. I could steal like some of them. But where the test came was when you ran up and down the court. He goes, after doing that for 45 minutes, I realized I'm not like them. And so that's, that's when you find the difference. I mean, when you've got a guy up in the fourth row drinking his beer and eating his popcorn, saying, I can't miss, believe that guy missed that layup. I mean, get the guy out of the stands and let's see what he can do. Do you ever want to just do that? You know, I used to go to my son's football games when he played for Alan Hancock and he, all these, these armchair coaches and quarterbacks behind me. You know, my son was a punter and he's a very good one, by the way. And he, every once in a while, I don't care the best kicker, the best punter is going to shank one. Every, it happens, even in the NFL, which stands not for long. And, and, and I remember one game, this, this guy behind me just yelling and screaming, hey, you suck, punter. That's my son. You know what I mean? There was a weed in my garden starting to grow. <laughs> and one day I said, um, did you ever play? Oh, yeah, I played in high school. Well, how good were you? I played in high school. Well, it tells me how good you were. You didn't play in junior college? Oh, I played in high school. What, what, did, what, did, what did you play? I played quarterback. Did you ever pass and have an interception? Ever? What's that got to do with now? Drinking his beer, you know. What's that got to do with now, right? Everything. See, when it comes time to run with the big dogs, when it comes time to produce, when it comes time to, hey, when it comes time for us as Christians to bear fruit, that's the telling. That's the telling what kind of shape we're in. When somebody pushes on our button, or how about this, when somebody leans on our button, we all have a button, don't we? The thing that pushes us over the edge. Don't say that around dad, because if you do, you know what I mean? But Jesus says that, that love never happens apart from sacrifice and generosity. And sorry for my rambling. We'll get back to the sermon. But, you know, does love grow on your campus as a student when other students are mean? Does love grow at work when people around you are, excuse the Latin word, I'm going to use the Latin word, when they're around you at work and they're jerks? Come on. Does, 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 does love get born in you as a fruit when someone on your sports team or someone in your group or somebody in your unit or someone in your, you know, your, your cubicle area is, is, is mean and arrogant and you want to give them a piece of your mind? Huh? Does your love grow when your husband picks on you after everything that you do to does, he, does your love grow when your kids are disrespectful or your wife is critical or your husband's stubborn? Come on. Well, 1 Corinthians, Paul's going to teach us about love, but he's also going to talk to us about weeds. You know, the book of Corinthians is a corrective book. He's not throwing out spiritual gifts. Actually, he's helping people understand 
how to use and operate in spiritual gifts. A lot of them wanted to, in 1 Corinthians 12, they wanted to have these miracles in their lives. And, and Paul says, that's great. But if you have miracles and don't have love, you're like a, a trash can, an old metal trash can lid with a spoon. You could pray, you could prophesy, you could preach, you could you know, do all kinds of stuff in church. But if you don't have love, he says, you... You're not following the most excellent way. In 1 Corinthians 12, 31, he says, I want to show you the most excellent way, or the French would say the way par excellence. The Message Bible says, but now I want to lay out a far better way for you. See, love is seen in joy and patience and long-suffering and kindness, and he comes out of 1 Corinthians 12 saying, I want you guys to really get this. If you want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, if you want to have supernatural gifts, you cannot, cannot pursue them apart from love. Because he says in verse 1 to 3, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I'm just like that trash can lid, that resounding gong. I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move the mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. Could you imagine having faith that could pick up Mount Tranquillion and put it in the Pacific? Pretty, pretty amazing. Or Figueroa Mountain, just put it upside down into Kachuma, which is, which is rising ever so slowly, thank God. That's pretty impressive. Lord, I command Figueroa into Kachuma. And Jesus said, big stinking deal. If love is not your motivating factor, heaven is not impressed. The angels are not impressed. And he says, well, well what, if, what if I gave away all I possess to the poor? What if I give my body over to hardship? Or some Bibles say, if I give my body to be burned that I may boast, but do not have love. What do I gain? I gain absolutely nothing. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I gain nothing. Your, 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 your fruit is empty. So number one, the love with God's love. Last week's sermon, we have to pull some weeds. And you'll be pulling weeds, let me tell you how long, the rest of your life. Because no matter how old you get, no, no matter, even if you're like, like an introvert, you're real shy, you're still going to have attitudes in your heart that can manifest themselves in such a way that you no longer, listen to this, you no longer hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit. But your garden is filled with weeds. And it's easy to point fingers and say, let me tell you, let me tell you what's wrong with our world. Let me tell you what's wrong with Lombok. Let me tell you what's wrong with Santa Barbara County. Let me tell you what's wrong with, and, and, and pretty soon you could be, overwhelmed with the weeds of what's wrong with everyone else. But if you really want to grow, pathway to grow, you, you follow after Christ and you recognize that love is the most excellent way. You pull the weeds out of your life. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. We know about the war, right? There's a war going on? Yeah. Good and bad. Right and wrong. Dark and light, Holy Spirit, and your flesh. <laughs> and the sinful nature or weeds desires what's contrary to the Spirit. So now the love chapter. 
or as I want to call it today, the weed chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. Love is, love is, oh, and here comes your first weed. It does not envy, weed number one. Envy is a weed. It does not boast. Being boastful or, or arrogant is a weed. It is not proud. There's another weed. You see the fruit among the weeds? It's right here in this chapter. It does not dishonor others or put other people down to make yourself look better. It is not self-seeking. There's another weed. It is not easily angered. Does anybody just want to take a quiet breath and think of all the times that you get ticked off over nothing? Come on. That's called flesh. It keeps no record of wrongs. There's another weed. I'm keeping score, brother. You know? I'm keeping score, honey. You were mean to me four times this week. I was only mean three times. That means I'm ahead. You owe me a favor. That's keeping score. Now, I know none of you in third service are that way. But some people in first and second might have been. Of course, I told them it was you. So anyway, delighting in evil Something bad happens to somebody that you don't like. That's a weed. You know, you don't like this person and they're driving down the highway and they're, you know, they're, they don't die, but their wheel falls off their car and you just you chuckle. It's a private chuckle. That's a weed. Somebody you don't, you, 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 you don't like doesn't get a promotion or one of your friends graduates from high school doesn't have anybody call them or scholarship, or athletics. That's, that's a weed. Well, it deserves them right. They're a jerk anyway. Blah, blah, blah. That's a weed. But, but, but here's what love does. It always rejoices with the truth. And it protects, and it trusts, and it hopes, and it perseveres. Love never fails. So here's a list of weeds, and here's another homework assignment for you uh, in your notes, that these are the weeds that we have to look for this week and for the rest of your life. Envy, boastful, prideful. Uh, by the way, the word pride is not just, you know, I'm all that. It's, 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 I'm not teachable. I know everything there is to know. It's my way or the highway. I know everything and no one can teach me anything. It's an arrogance that says, I just, what do you know? What do you know? And you find it usually when somebody points out a weed to you in your garden. Did you, did you realize how you acted there or responded there? Did you, did you realize that? Oh, you cut that person off in the middle of their story. They were the heartache. and you, did, you, did, you, did you catch that? And we all have to watch it. I think about the weeds that Jesus pulled while he was here on the planet. John, John 4, the woman at the well, she, she comes with her water pot. She's wanting to get some H2O. And I love the end of the story. She left her water pot there. She meets the living water named Jesus. The very intention of what she came to the well for was to receive water. But after the weed of her parched soul is quenched by Jesus, she leaves her pot. Jesus also pulls the weeds of prejudice out because she's a Samaritan He's a Jew. They're not supposed to talk. 
He also pulls the weeds of culture out that was a barrier for them. Men did not talk to women, except their own wives. I mean, you got all kinds of weeds getting pulled. Then I think about John 8. We all know this story. I use it all the time. The woman who's caught in adultery, the weed of shame, the weed of judgment. They wanted to stone her to death. The weeds of unforgiveness. And Jesus comes and says, as he writes something in the ground, you without sin cast the first stone. He pulls the weeds out. How about uh, healing the lepers? may not seem like weed pulling there, but, but you know it was against the law for anyone to touch a person with leprosy? You, you greeted each other earlier. You, as a leper, would not be allowed to have anybody shake your hand. And Jesus removes the weeds of isolation and the weeds of being outcast and the weeds of being called unclean. When the lepers walked down the street, they would say, you're dirty. Jesus removed that stigma from them the rest of their lives. Think about the weed pulling of Jesus. Jesus changed others because love does that. When someone who shouldn't be loved, when someone who doesn't deserve to be loved, when the mean kid at school still gets love, or the tyrant boss still gets loved, it impacts people. Back in 2005, Karen Covell, who was the director of Hollywood Prayer Network, let me explain what that is. There were some 4,000 people back then that would pray for each other. They were all involved in Hollywood. Actors, producers, screenwriters, musicians, uh, grips, film editors, cameramen, and the like. Uh, she was allowed to have this brand new job as the associate producer of Headliners and Legends back in 2005 with, many of you know him, Matt Lauer. One of her first assignments was to interview a man named Hugh Hefner. You may know him from Playboy Enterprise. Not that any of you would have ever seen his magazines or read his articles. So she thought, what would I say to him? What would be the question I would ask him about being a marketer, being an entrepreneur, being successful? But she asked him some questions about his life and his upbringing. And I found her interview fascinating. Hugh Hefner was raised by two very strict, rigid parents who were religious but never talked to him or his brother about the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, or the salvation that comes to us by Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Never mentioned it. You and his brother never saw mom and dad have a public display of affection. And because his mother was a germaphobe, she never kissed him or, her, or his brother. At a very young age, you was given a blanket this blanket became his sense of warmth and security. Every night he would hug the blanket, not just to be warm, but also for a sense of embrace. Interesting to note that the border of the blanket had bunnies on it. 
you wanted a dog and mom being a germaphobe said there'll be no dog. But finally she gave in. Got you Hefner, a little puppy. And about the third day in the puppy's life after bringing it home, it got really sick. And you wrapped the puppy in his bunny blanket. And on the fifth day, the puppy died. The puppy was buried. And Mama, the germaphobe, burned his blanket with the bunnies on it. So we fast forward the tape and we begin to find out that he's talking about his upbringing. That there was no love, that there was no understanding of God, and grace, and mercy. In the middle of the day, clad in his black pajamas at the Playboy Mansion, here's what he told Karen Covell as she interviewed him. I guess I'm still just a little boy trying to find love. No matter how much money, fame, notoriety, sex, bunnies, his heart is still looking for love, as the old Christian hymn says, in all the wrong places. I just wonder what his life might have been like if mom and dad hugged him, prayed with him, took him to church, showed him the love of God, took him to snow day. In a post-game party. I, I, I just, just wonder what his life might have been like. I mean, obviously, he's brilliant. He's a successful uh, entrepreneur and, and a visionary and a marketer. Well, what could he have done with his life? So, point number two, pull the weeds. And number two, plant some seeds. Be people who are planting seeds of love because you never know where those seeds of love are going to sprout. It may be tomorrow, it may be years from now, it, it may be 20 years from now, but love, 1 Corinthians 13, 7 and 8, it, it protects, it trusts, it hopes, it perseveres, and love never what? It never fails. Manipulation fails, self-serving fails, promiscuity will fail, Believing that the almighty dollar will somehow give you what you've always longed for, it will fail. But love that comes from God, that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, will never fail. And it's interesting to know that, 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 that faith is important and, and, and hope is important. But when you go to heaven, you don't need any faith. It's faith that got you there. When you get to heaven, you don't need any hope. I mean, it's filled with hope. But one thing that's going to remain in heaven is going to be love because God is love. His very essence is love. And we'll look in the eyes of the Savior and we will see his love for us that got us there. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, love each other deeply. It's not shallow. It's not superficial. It's, it's self-sacrificing because love covers even a multitude of sins. John 13, 34 and 35, a new command I give you, Love one another. And I want to stop there because I don't really like this verse. I thought I should tell you I don't like this verse. Let me tell you one more time. I don't like this verse. And why I don't like it is because I've got a flesh just like you do. He says it's a command. Not a suggestion. It's a command. You love one another 
as I. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but as I means equal to. Same as. The way I love you, that's how you love people. And I stop and I say, well, how do you love people? He went out of his way with the Samaritan woman. He went out of his way with the woman caught in adultery. He went out of his way with the leper. He went out of his way with a little guy named Zacchaeus who was in a tree one day. He's walking down the road and he says, uh, and I always see it this way. He doesn't even look up in the tree. He just says, hey, Zacchaeus, I know you're there. Come down. By the way, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for lunch. Set me a table. Set me a place at the table. And I believe that day that Zacchaeus tasted more than the lunch, I believe he tasted the love of God himself through Jesus the Son. It transformed Zacchaeus. Jesus not only loves Zacchaeus, he loves on his family. And when he says, you, you love people like, like I do, they might have different skin tone, they might have a different uh, uh, you know, academics in their life, maybe they never went past the eighth grade. Maybe they're employed well. Maybe they're not even employed. Maybe there's somebody who sits out in front of the street and in front of the restaurant and begging for stuff. Some of them are legit. Some are scammers. Sorry. Just the way it is. But you love them anyway. It's easy to judge people. But you stop and you love them. And by this, everyone will know that you are what? My disciples. If you go to church on Sunday, which you should, keep coming. Come back next week. It's going to even be better, I promise. But how will people know who we follow? Because the way we live, the way we speak, the way we act starts to sound and look and feel like Jesus. And that's a pathway to growth. I mean, I could tell you, you know, this morning, nine ways God loves you. That's great. But I'm talking about how we love others. I've loved you, so you must love one another. And I think about how he loved us when he dies on a cross. And then he says these words, Father, forgive them. You got to be glad I'm not the Savior. Because if I would have been the Savior, I would have said, Father, get them. <laughs> Open the ground up and swallow them whole little tapatio and let it go. That's what I would have said. But down the quarters of time, Jesus our Savior speaks and he says, Father, forgive them. He wasn't just talking about the people about the cross that day, gambling for his garments or crucifying him or throwing the spear in his side or giving him vinegar when he asked for something to drink. He was speaking to you and me. Father, forgive them. That's how we're supposed to love each other. And some of you in here and me too, sorry, not trying to guilt you, but there's great freedom in pulling the weeds out of our garden. Some of us are holding score and keeping score and holding grudges towards people in our past. And some of your marriages are on cold ice and thin ice because you simply won't let it go. And I hear this verse, I don't like it, I told you. Love, just like I love. And everyone's going to know that you're my follower, not because you have a fish on your car or a cross on your car or a Bible on your coffee table, or not because you go to a building with a cross on the top of the stucco, but because of how we live. That people would say, man, they love each other. I don't have time to, to tell you this whole story, but I'll just give you a brief version of it. Uh, years ago, I ran into a lady in the community and she wasn't a part of the church and 
She said, um, does such and such goes to your church, right? I said, yeah. Well, the, the such and such turned out to be her son's teacher. And uh, this public school teacher was just phenomenal, uh, still is. And, and here's what the, the mom told me. My husband and I want nothing to do with church. But if we did, we'd go to yours. <laughs> well, tell me more. Because our son's teacher. You see, our son is a handful and we know it. But this teacher, the way she treats him, all the teachers before him, before this one, had lots of trouble with him. And rightfully so. He's a handful. We can hardly control him at home. But this teacher has shown him such value, he's changed. And when we've gone to, to teachers' conferences, when we, we put our head down. We know what we're going to hear. And this teacher who goes to your church says to us, what a joy to have your son in our class. We never get to hear that. And we know she's kind of lying. <laughs> but pastor, we want nothing to do with church, but, but if we did. Because that, that lady, that, that, that lady acts like and speaks like what we think God would be like even though we want nothing to do with God or church. But if we did. You know what this lady was doing, this teacher? She was being a disciple. This couple, who are not a couple of faith, was, was, but was beginning to believe that there's a God and that church might even add value to people's lives because of the way that this teacher was living. Now let me fast forward the tape. It was an Easter several years ago, and I saw that lady again outside in our buffet line with her husband, who wants nothing to do with God. <laughs> His plate was mounding over with meatballs and <laughs> little quiche. <laughs> if you've never been on Easter, you don't know what I'm talking about. It's huge. And I said, so great to have you here. And he leaned in and said, there's only one reason we're here. And he said the teacher's name. And, and you know what? That couple keeps coming back. Huh? Listen, God never called me to build a big church, though I pray we keep growing. God called me to build big people. And if you big, build big people, guess what? It's, it's going to cause the church to grow. I just began to ask myself the question as I thought about this verse that I don't like. I tell you I don't like this verse. <clears throat> and I thought about that teacher who was a true disciple of Christ, the difference. Hey, students at school, the difference you get to make. Now, that teacher can't put on the whiteboard by her desk, I am a Christian, I believe in Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Bible. Because you don't get to do that in public school. But you, you, you tell me if that teacher was preaching. She was preaching by her action, by her life, by the fruit 
of the Spirit in operation in her? In the book Season of Life, uh, Jeffrey Marks, award-winning author, author writes about uh, Joe Eherman, I think I'm saying it right, E-H-E-R-M-A-N-N, former NFL star, and a guy by the name of Biff Pogey, who is the head coach for University of Michigan. But when Joe and Biff were high school coaches together, they developed a plan for all their players. It was called Building Men for Others. Now, they, they dealt with the weight training and how to eat and how to block and how to catch and X's and O's and all the stuff that football coaches do. But, but part of this teaching of building men for others was a simple question that they would always ask, what can I do for you? And they taught the young people in their, under their coaching, under their football team, that it's, life is not about getting bigger bank accounts or a bigger house. It's not about dating the prettiest girl on campus. It's not having the most authority and the most power and the best job title. It's, how can I help you today? What can I do for you today? It's putting others before yourself. One of the moms asked Coach Biff, Coach, will this make my boy successful? I mean, all the football and the grades. And, but will this program, Building Men for Others, make my boy successful? And he said, um, come back in 20 years and we'll talk. Because in 20 years from graduation, we'll know what kind of man he became. We'll know if he gets married, what kind of husband he is. We'll, we'll know if he gets married and has kids, what kind of father he is. And I, I, I read this story. I thought, Wow. Really, love is, is the main thing. And faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. See, there's nothing distinctive about loving those who deserve love. I mean, the lovely, the nice, the people that, oh, they're so great to us. But when you love someone who does not deserve to be loved, that becomes a distinguishing mark of the Holy Spirit. This boy in the classroom a.k.a. pain in the neck, a.k.a. referral slip to the principal every day, a.k.a. disrespectful. Did he deserve to be loved? Yes. Because we're to love each other with the love of Christ. We love God because he first loved us, and we love others because we are loved by God. So, homework. You have six points at the bottom of your notes. There's your homework. I'm only going to touch on number one. That we look at people with eternity in mind. And that we need to see them as God does and care for them like it counts because it does. The teacher's illustration points to that. The clip from the movie, which is, by the way, a true story, points to that. When we love other people with the love of God, it impacts our souls. And it starts at home. If you're married, it starts with you and your spouse. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Are you kidding me? Another verse that I don't like. Anytime it says just as Christ did. I mean, it's a tall order. Let's be real. 
Love the person on your street, the one you can't stand. Love that kid who drives you crazy. Love that schoolmate who's mean. That could be the very thing that could open their heart. More of God. But, But I know what it does. Even if they never respond to it, it'll help you pull weeds out of your garden, and it will help you with the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you for listening to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. To find out more about Lompoc Foursquare Church or to watch us live online, please visit mylfc.com.